Natchez Glenhouse Stories number 12. We're, we're prolific this week, as I talked to Philip here. We, I just taped a podcast yesterday. Now we're doing another podcast, but there's two things that make this podcast very exciting. Number one, it's the first outside all year. I wanted to start doing the podcast outside. Now we're doing it. It's a beautiful day, although Tuesday it's 12 degrees. So today it's good. Number two thing, Philip has come here all the way from Holland just for this. He's going to lie to me and tell me that. It's just for this. For sure. That's why he came here. So let me set the, the groundwork here. So Philip works for ADR Bulbs in Holland. Now, one of the things that is unique that I want to talk to you about is walk me through the difference between the fact that you guys actually run the production and the farming part of it at 250 acres, but a lot of bulb sellers essentially aren't also growers so i think that's a unique thing so sort of walk me through how most other places handle that where you guys actually grow and sell your own bulbs essentially sure yeah the the whole cycle as we call it um we have in hand an adr bulbs just to correct you is actually the u.s based okay. operation yeah. uh based in chester new york yeah and the parent company uh, which was founded in 1910 uh, is called Rookrock Flower Bulbs uh, and they are actually the far- farming operation and deal also direct with customers in the United States and ADR was founded by my grandfather Simon uh, Rookrock who came on a boat after the Second World War uh, to New York and uh, founded the company ADR Bulbs and uh, which is still in place now uh, run by two uncles uh, and nephews Chris Rookrock and Walter Rookrock um, and they sort of uh, distribute all the bulbs throughout the United States to landscapers botanical gardens uh, Rookrock flower bulbs in the Netherlands has um, uh, the 250 acres of land where they grow or where we grow our own bulbs and uh, export to the United States so let me ask you a question this is something that has been really interesting to me. So I'm obviously in this like small cut flower world and there are a lot of people who are new to it, but they talk with a lot of authority. I'll be kind and say that Philip. Do you think there are a lot of people in this country who understand just how long bulb production has been going on over in the Netherlands and the, the numbers you're throwing out, right, nineteen early 1900s, that we're literally talking about a hundred years of bulb flower growing going on over there. Do you think people know that in this country of how long it's been going on? I think a lot of people heard about how the stock exchange started uh, and, and the story on how, how, many, uh, uh, how much a bulb was worth in the 1600s. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think the scale on what it's done now, it's hard to, uh, hard to understand for anybody, but uh, not many people do, I think. So walk me through this. So we have a bulb. It's in the ground. We'll, we'll talk on tulip. Tulip sits there. It blooms. Then what? Like, start me, walk me through like that life cycle of the tulip bulb from your fields to when they get over here or anywhere else in the world. Yeah, so let's start with uh, harvesting in June, where we 
separate the, the, the smaller bulbs from the bigger bulbs, uh, where the bigger bulbs are being sold all over the world, including the United States, for landscaping purposes, where the flower is already developed and will give a big uh, new flower. The smaller flowers, say size um, 8, 9, we call it, 7, 8, they're, they're called uh, planting good. So we use those bulbs to plant again in the ground after we give them the proper treatment uh, with temperatures, uh, let the bulbs dry. And after they've, they've been dried and uh, been pre-treated, we plant them in October, November uh in the ground and leave the winter uh, and, the, and the cool temperatures that the bulb needs to uh, prepare for spring basically uh, before it starts flowering again in say march april uh, and as soon as the flower is in full bloom in april mid-april end of april we cut the flower head so the the bulb can uh, get its strength and grow from the foliage that, that dies down. So the plant is left alone after we cut the flower head in full bloom and the foliage dies down and gives the bulb the energy to grow and multiply. So uh, then in June we start all over again. And the cycle begins. And the cycle is, is, uh, is round, so, so, so to speak. So when you harvest, you go through machine-based harvesting. Now we were talking about yeah. that primarily. Then... The tulip, the bulb goes where from that point? Stays there for how long? And then when, if it's going to this country, how long is that process between harvest to it coming here? Yeah, so after the harvesting process, the bulbs are dried. They're sorted and sized. Uh, they're looked at uh, for, for different diseases. Looked at, uh, the, the, we have to make sure that there's no soil attached to the bulbs because no, soil is not allowed to be shipped to, uh, to the U.S., for example. And after the sorting, uh, sizing, and drying process, which starts end of June uh, and usually finish, finishes in a week or, week or three, four, the bulbs are sorted uh, in size and packaged uh, in either retail packaging or in bulk packaging. So it can be shipped to the U.S., which starts in August and mid-August. Everything uh, starts going, um, moved into containers in a boat over to the United States. So let, let's, let's put this in perspective, right? So we've got a family business over 100 years old, every year doing this. Yeah. Right. Ballpark me here. I don't need an exact number. How many tulips per year are you guys producing just in tulips right now? I think it's about a hundred million bulbs that go through uh, through the company on an annual basis. Wow! How many years do you think you've been around that number, give or take a million or so? Right. Well, quite quite some years. Yeah, uh, I would say maybe uh, maybe the last ten years for sure. Wow! So we're up into the billion, you know, kind of number potentially over time. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but it's yeah. like how many bulbs have you guys produced is a staggering number it's quite a few yeah i mean that's amazing so are you when you come over here and you visit garden centers botanical gardens whatever it might be do you see the culture of people understanding 
bulbs and planting, is it changing? People that have been involved in the business a long time, or are they seeing it changing for the good, for the worse? Where is sort of that difference over this hundred years that are people gardening more? Are they gardening less? Do they understand more about bulbs and tulips and planting or less? I think the the younger generation, uh, this is also to be seen in garden centers where people see that the actual bulbs sold in garden centers are are decreasing. Uh, people know less about gardening. People come into the garden centers and they uh, are looking for tulips in spring, although it should be uh, full when uh, when they uh, when they're looking when they should be looking for for bulbs. But it's just the uh, yeah, a lack of education when it comes to gardening uh, in this generation where people are not aware of the fact that you should plant a bulb in the fall and, uh, and not in the spring. So we've seen, uh, we've seen that decreasing. And then on the other end, we've, see, we've seen the, that this generation of people, our generation basically, yeah. I, I, I want to say. Yeah, you know, absolutely. We, we, have, we have less time to spend in the garden, but we still want our yard to look nice. Uh, in America as well as in Holland, there's two people working instead of back in the day, uh, usually one. So there's more money. So we see that landscaping business is picking up. More and more people uh, are calling in a landscaping company to do designs for the yard. And that includes roses, uh, dahlias, tulips, hyacinths, daffodils. Um, but people are, yeah, not so much. Th- they don't want to get their hands dirty anymore. So we were we were talking about this before we started recording. There seems to me to be a real challenge here as a grower that over a hundred years you've gotten really good at growing bulbs, but the efficiency, the amount that you're producing has probably decade by, by decade gone up, and now you have a huge amount that you're able to produce on an annual basis. But what we're also seeing is less people knowing about bulbs or interested in gardening. How have you guys tried to balance that? You know, it's sort of the curse of when you get good at something, you would think, oh, wait, we're good at this, but it does create this challenge. Yeah, it's uh, for me, I started 10 years ago and I when I started to find new markets for these bulbs, my first traditional also thought would be, okay, let's, let's find a garden center that wants to buy bulbs directly from the source, no, no middleman uh, directly from Holland. Uh, but these people are all dealing with you know, the same companies for many, many years. So it's a very hard market to find. So I had the idea where where does it all start within a metropolitan area uh, and usually this is the botanical garden where there's children's gardens where i try to emphasize that uh, children's gardens are important you need to get the young people inside inside the garden to get them educated to get them back into the yard as well planting planting bulbs and that's how i got to know in in, in most metropolitan uh, metropolitan areas the people within the gardens knew also where the potential bulb users would be if it would be the cities the botanical gardens themselves but also the landscaping companies that benefit again from the people that have more money in their pockets and still want to have a nice uh, good looking yard 
but especially the education part of things. I, I think that is, and we were talking about this. You know, we're at this weird place, not just in horticulture or gardening, like everything changing, evolving, uh, the influence of social media, what that means, good and bad. And in the last podcast, I talked about this. The horticulture world has not been really good at reaching out to people. It's a little bit just to keep sort of talking to the same people, its own little small circle over and over again. And what you're talking about is trying to reach a new group that we don't typically see, reaching out to, to children in particular, kids, get them in the garden. Is there an effort beyond what you're doing that you see? Is the talk changing amongst you? were just at a trade show like yesterday. Are people talking at all a little bit different about like we do need to reach out to an audience that maybe doesn't know that and reach them through social media? Do you see any or hear any of that kind of talk going on? I think people are trying, but they uh, they have a hard time finding the tools to do it and uh, don't really have the knowledge to do it. But I think they are very much aware of the fact that it's necessary to use those new ways of communication to reach a new uh, new audience. But it's uh, in many cases a question on how uh, what what would be the best way of doing it. Uh, but then again, there is also a new generation coming uh, and joining me actually also on the road, my nephew, who's now 22. Uh, you know, this is another next generation that will do the reaching out uh, by social media, by using other ways of communication. And um, yeah, you can only hope and, and try and keep on pushing because the old ways apparently don't work. No, that's we're, it. We're, we're, we're uh, you know, well, and I think that's the challenge, right? Like we, as you and I were walking around here, we're talking about a lot of these subjects. And for everyone that hears me talk on this all the time, when I was running the nursery in Oregon, you know, I saw a lot of these problems in mm -hmm. 2008, 2009. And forever, we were talking about this also, we try to make everything sound too easy. Right? We don't want to have honest conversations about this. If you're going to grow... We'll, we'll, pick, we'll pick on dahlias, Philip, because we're sitting amongst a lot of dahlia tubers, sitting in the ground in the wondering. Middle, in the we're literally of. in the middle of them. <clears throat> you're going to have to put some work into it. You're probably going to have to stake your dahlia. You're going to have to cut your dahlia. Your soil's got to be decent. You just can't throw it in the ground, walk away, and forget it. What was the new slogan you just said? Well, there was a campaign used, yeah. uh, dig, drop, done. Yeah, uh, see, that's really scary to me, right? Like, that's so scary to hear that. And I, I wonder, again, like, like, let's think about food or cooking. So there's probably, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but there's more people probably into at-home cooking, like making nicer meals than just throwing something in a microwave internationally than there are into gardening. I think people at least understand with cooking at home, even though people do it less still, that they're, what they put into it is what they'll get out of it. If you want to make a really nice meal, you don't just drop something in the microwave and walk away. Yeah. If we would take more of an approach to talk to people about what you put into gardening is what you can get out of it. If you become knowledgeable, if you look into things, if you research things, you'll get something beautiful back. 
Do you, do you see that as part of this equation that just sort of stopping this sort of super low maintenance, everything is easy kind of talk is probably not long-term good for us? Well, the dig drop done, uh, it might, might be the fact in a, in a perfect world, maybe in, in, in Holland where the soil is, uh, sandy, uh, you just uh, put your spade in the ground, you drop some bulbs, and nature does its thing because it rains enough. Uh, but in other parts of the country, I see people struggling with ogres or chainsaws that have built into uh, sort of uh, hole digging equipments in, in hard clay grounds. And uh, it's it's tough, and it's hard work. And it's, like you said, I think everything uh, you put into anything in life uh the more attention and the more effort you put into it, the more you get out of it. Education is everything. We had to take a break. The UPS guy showed up with this little micro greenhouse thing that I bought because I'm giving Jeff Bezos all my money through Amazon. And then the other thing that I brought out to Philip to see here are these uh, long stem red roses that I found at the local grocery store here for 50 cents. Let's talk about that for a second. So for your farm, you guys harvest bulbs. Do you, do you cut flower as well? Like, do you, are you also like cutting flowers when you go through the harvest process and selling those stems or no? No, if we would do that, we would lose the, the bulb growth. So because we're only in it for the bulbs, we just cut the uh, the head of the flower, so the foliage and the entire stem dies down and gives the gives the bulb the growth it needs. If you would just cut the cut the flower, you would get a less fully grown bulb. Let's talk about that for a second too, because as we were walking around, we also saw, and I told you, that there was a big box company that had bulbs at a ridiculously cheap price like literally a dollar a bag at the end of the season. The grading of bulbs, as you said, like there's a grade that you grow on another year, Yeah. but there are some growers that sell these undersized bulbs. Sort of give us the classification of like bulb grading. Yeah, so we, like I said in the beginning, we plant bulbs that are size seven, eight, eight, nine, in order to achieve a bulb that is 12 up we call it and 12 being the amount of centimeters um, that's the highest to be sold bulb there's 14 plus but that's a little bit too too large of a bulb to sell and not, not many bulbs are sold like that uh, only the russians really like those very big bulbs so, so they mostly go uh, ultra russia then the then the grade down is 11 12 and 10 11 and the 10 11 is probably what you've uh, bought at the box store and it would give you um, yeah, a lesser thick strong stem plus a, a way smaller flower so I wouldn't want to have that if I go through through the effort of planting the bulbs in my garden I would want to have uh, the best possible results I would want to have the biggest bulb possible as well so this is something and we're gonna we're gonna get back to tulips but I wanted to throw this at you right? we hadn't talked about this before so there's a difference in bulb quality. Like that's what we're saying here. Like if you get a grade 12, you're gonna have a better flower. It's gonna work, you're gonna harvest it, you're gonna be happier, you're gonna have a prettier garden, you're gonna have a better cut flower if you're doing it for cut flowers. So with dahlia tubers in the United States, 
there has been this push that a single finger tuber is as good as a clump. Now, I've seen no research to back this up, but it strikes me a little bit like this bulb talk. Like, that it's just not based on anything, really. It's just sort of a thought. Have you heard this yet of, like, this tuber talk of the single-finger tuber being better than the clump or the same as the clump? I've not heard this, but, I, you know, my experience is bigger is better in, in when it comes to either plants, bare roots, uh, trees, you name it. Uh, the bigger your product is that you plant, the bigger the chances are that you're going to be successful in your garden and in the end ha- you will have less work because you, the, the 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 room of er- room for errors uh is, is smaller well it just this uh, is one, so, of, the, well, one of the things I, I i should have said to you Finger before story. This. yeah right exactly <laughs> so most of the people saying this are people that are selling single tuber plants what a surprise right that's really what's going on and then the, the thing that makes no horticultural sense, like you're saying, is the reason why the number 12 tulip is better because there's more energy stored in the bulb. So then the next year, when it goes to produce growth, it uses that energy and it has more energy. Like this is a very like, yeah, this makes sense. Same with the clump tuber. There's more tubers. They're able to use all of that energy from the previous year versus a single finger tuber. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no science behind this at all, but I see it out there. And one of the things that has concerned me is, because Philip knows this, I'm all over Instagram. You people know this. I'm all over it. I have, nothing goes on on Instagram that I don't see that involves plants. People are saying it detrimentally to the Dutch-grown product. And it feels a little bit like propaganda to me by people that are trying to promote what they're selling. Are you concerned with any of that kind of thing? You know, we, we have a lot of bad information out there in the horticulture world to begin with. We don't need more? Well, I think it's uh, for, for somebody of our generation where we just said it's going to be hard for them to go, to get them to go into their yard and plant bulbs, tubers, trees, plants, uh, it's it's hard for me to understand that uh, if they go into one of those box stores and they buy these uh, re- cheap bulbs, maybe at clearance, very cheap bulbs, and they have 10 bulbs planted and there's only one coming up because the quality is uh, just not, uh, not the best they could get, they're never going to buy a tuber or a bulb again. So, I if, if it would be to me, all bulbs that are lower than uh, twelve plus would be banned from the U.S. That see, Philip is is <laughs> no. Philip is hitting on the subjects that I like. To, so Philip knows that I like to talk about these subjects. The that's the thing that concerns me. I want to make sure that we have a new generation to talk to through these new ways, through social media, what we're doing right now in this podcast, that we want to get them the information that lets them have success. That's what we want to do. We don't want to keep making some of these same mistakes of, oh yeah, this is just as good. Buy it, buy it. Yeah, yeah, it's cheap. It's no good. It's low quality. But here, here, you want this. I mean, think about things you've never experienced before, right? I'm going to share a story with you. 
So my parents, they would cook, they would cook asparagus, right? And they would boil it and it would taste horrible. And as a kid, you grow up eating boiled asparagus and you think it's horrible, but then you have it roasted with some lovely sea salt on it, maybe some lemon and some garlic. And now it's delicious. It's just how I was introduced to it. And unless you have that positive experience, like you're saying, you're not going to feel good about it down the road. You're not going to go and say, can I have some more asparagus? And the only thing you've ever experienced is the boiled, horrible asparagus. And when we talk about things like tulips, and when we talk about that it's been going on for 100 years, you guys know what you're doing. This isn't your first rodeo, as we would say here, right? This isn't your first experience growing and harvesting tulips. You've been doing it for a while. Do you think where we're headed with this is a bit of an old school within the industry, within the industry as a whole? Is it a little bit of an old school, new school kind of argument going on still? Like, are we still having the argument? Or do you think the old school is maybe going away a little, and then also saying, okay, maybe we do need to change things up some. I think the, the industry as a whole is, is trying, but they, uh, they've not really succeeded yet. Uh, but as long as they continue trying and uh, people of this generation are also picking up uh, st- stories like this, but other stories, uh, and try to change the industry in a good way, I think there's a... There's light on the horizon, as they say. So let's talk about the light. Because one of the things I try to balance here all the time, and, and I actually was having, this is a funny conversation I was having yesterday with a local uh, flower grower here. And he said, you know, Steve, sometimes I think you're negative. And then he said, well, but I guess sometimes you're just being honest. And I said, yeah, what a change. Like, to... To enjoy what gardening is, because everyone knows when I talk about gardening, I talk about it in this magic way. I talk about how we have woodland fairies that work here at Natchez Glen. It's in a very magic first sense. Because as a grower, gardener, person who occasionally sells plants for money person, I think the experience is all of that. It's a magical thing to be a part of. But the information that's been out there is my concern with where we're at. So let's talk tulips in a magical way, Philip. Let's do that. How many varieties of tulips are you guys currently growing? How many varieties? I think we have about, of the total 250 acres of bulbs that we're growing, uh, about 60% is, uh, is tulips. I would say about 40 varieties. Okay. Uh, then we grow daffodils, about 20%. Uh, 10% hyacinths, uh, some crocus. Um, in total, um, I think uh, 100 varieties maybe. So for tulip, how do you guys judge what's a great tulip as far as flower goes? Like, is there a balance between bulb production and flower quality? And are there some that you grow that it's a great flower, but the bulb part of it doesn't quite live up to it? Yeah, there's, um, when it comes to your market there's either uh, the greenhouse production where you deal with when you look at tulips that are going to be naturally short staying short so they're suitable for the for the pot production 
or they're going to be taller so you can use them for cut flower production and then it uh, it is all about the how long would it be in a vase uh, how long would it be good uh, standing up in a pot uh, and you could have a great pot tulip a great cut flower tulip but still you could have a bulb who's very uh, infectious or um, open to get viruses diseases uh, so it would be a great flower but we would have to say well it's not worth it and we would just have to uh, yeah say goodbye and say you know we, we got to move on and uh, find a new variety with better growth characteristics and especially less infectious so that's uh, sometimes a hard decision but uh, in the end looking at the amount of virus which are out there and and, and bulb diseases uh, there's not yet found the perfect bulb which is virus free uh, disease free I think maybe 10 years down the road there will be uh, but still there's going to be a lot of bulbs still out there that, that, that still have diseases in there. So let's talk about, you, you mentioned pot tulip versus cut flower tulip. So there are a lot of, and I, I'll give you my opinion. You, you can choose not to speak to this if you want to, but I've always found it funny how people are more apt to buy a potted tulip that's in bloom than to just buy the bulb and plant it in their own garden or in their own pot. Yeah, and even now, you see, and that, that's really a trend I've seen in the last five years even, that because of the uh, lack of sort of education or that people just don't know that you have to plant a bulb in the fall, that in springtime now you see biodegradable pots where you have pre-finished product and you can buy and put in your put in your yard, even plant it in your yard, and you can still have the natural cooling. Everything is taken care of, uh, and you can still have tulips in bloom in your in your uh, in your garden. And that's another trend, which is uh, yeah. I mean, there's a, apparently there's a market for it, which is one of the things, people. If you just bought your tulips, you put them in your own garden or in your own pot, it'll work the same. I mean, it, it'll you'll have beautiful tulips. Now let's let's go through growing tulips a little bit. Let's let's walk through this for a minute. So let's start with how close can you plant tulips together? My rule of thumb, I mean, the the closer you put them together, the the greater show you will have. But you can never plant them on top of each other because then uh, they won't have the the space. My rule of thumb would always be take twice the diameter of the tulip or any bulb, if it's an allium, if it's a crocus, take twice the diameter and that's as thick as you can plant them. Okay. Uh, but you can also plant them on top of each other. Um, I think you've uh, yeah. you've done that before, the lasagna. Yes. The lasagna. Yes. Um, well, like especially in cooking, containers. Cooking. Exactly, cooking, like layering them. Like that's something that seems, and uh, we're hopefully gonna have a guest on from Great Dixter in the UK in the upcoming weeks here, but like, a lot of container gardens do the layered bulb approach and it works out beautifully. But is that something you see a lot of people even knowing, right? That you can do it that way where we can layer them and even do it with like different varieties yep. in the layering and create like a really good show. Well, it's it gives you a longer shelf life. And that's something uh, I've tried with 
quite a few growers and we've seen success with because if you if you just have tulips in your pot chances would be that you would only get 10 days of nice flowers but in this in this sense you will have three layers maybe starting with crocus then daffodils and then tulips so you you would have um yeah a greater show and a longer lasting show and the same is seen also in, in in the landscape industry yeah where landscapers or in your in your uh, garden you would plant only the same variety of tulips say red um, but nowadays people want more yeah, buck for their bulb or they want to at least have a longer shelf life especially here in the midwest where it can warm up very quickly so you would have different sort of plantings and landscape designs where you have first early sort of color bulbs like daffodils crocus then early mid late tulips uh and and late daffodils and alliums to finish off so you would have a bloom season of instead of two weeks uh four to six weeks is this has got and everybody we talk to everybody i've had on is a guest who's a grower one of the biggest challenges has got to be when you come over here to the united states how big the country is and how diverse the climate is I mean, that's got to be a real challenge as you travel, like talking to people. Like the difference between Atlanta versus Chicago is night and day climatically. Yeah, not only climatically, also the people. Yeah, are different. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's <laughs> and the food. Yeah, the food, absolutely. <laughs> Which is fun. The food part's fun. So, how do you, especially with tulips, which are a little bit more uh, sensitive to climate, I'd say, than daffodils? Daffodils are are a tough plant as far as being like hardy and can grow in a lot of conditions. The deer don't like them. Exactly. But tulips on the other hand, a little tougher, like in the warmer parts of the country with that early warm up, they don't always love it. Are there specific varieties that you guys try to introduce or to, to grow that you know are going to do better in those kind of climates? Yeah, we've seen over the last 10 years, we, We've seen the climate changing. It's it's gotten warmer, uh, especially below the line, Nashville, Memphis, Oklahoma City. Uh, we've seen that the winters are just not as cold as they used to. I mean, we're sitting outside right now in late January. It's not it's not spring yet, but but, it, but it's, it's it's around the corner, right? The plants could be fooled by it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those. The witch hazel over there is in bloom. Yeah, so we've seen that that trend and so we've uh with our warehouse in in new york uh, after the bulbs come in after labor day we start pre-cooling all the bulbs that are intended for that line that certain hardiness zone uh, below the nashville memphis line um, and cool them until after thanksgiving day so the bulb already has like eight nine weeks mm. of pre-chilling and then it actually only needs another four to six weeks uh, to get in flower. And usually the month of uh, December and January, it's still cold enough so that they will actually get those six weeks and you actually see results. The mo the, 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 that's, that's just a, a necessary thing with, with the changing climate. So talk to us about chill hours. I think that is something that a lot of people don't know for tulips, that they do need a certain amount of chill hours to actually produce a good quality flower at the, in the spring. Walk us through sort of that process. Yeah, so in, 
general the temperature the soil temperature before you start planting should be in between 40 to 50 degrees um somewhere around there not not too warm anyway and then on average the the tulip hyacinths daffodils they all need about 12 weeks of minimum temperatures like 40 50 degrees so the soil temperature shouldn't warm up too much and also the air temperature should remain about that about that temperature um and after that they will they will have enough cold weeks that's how how greenhouse growers grow their tulips they put them in in the coolers for 12 or 14 weeks and then take them into the greenhouse and then it takes three weeks for the bulbs to finish which is pretty remarkable that it goes it's that quick yeah right for the bulb to go from dormancy to flower that's why you can have market mark marketable tulips already in the stores starting like first week of january or even the last week of december you can you can already find tulips which is really amazing we the, fool nature th- that's it right no that's completely what it is you know we we're i was talking about this with uh with dahlia <clears throat> that you know i'm going to take a certain amount of tubers and bring them into this little greenhouse and just get them going early and then plant them out just to have that extra three, four weeks that you can get it earlier. And one of the things that is a real challenge for garden centers across the world, but obviously here in the United States, maybe even a little bit more, is that in places like Chicago, their window to sell, like what they would call spring from when it, you know the snow or the real cold is passed till we, they get too hot, sometimes can be really short. And they are trying to squeeze a lot of sales into an incredibly short period of time. Do you think, like you were talking about the biodegradable tulip, you know, the pots, do you think that's a big part of it too? That people are trying to squeeze in every product they can, right? From tulips to to everything in between, trees, flowers, shrubs, you name it. There's only like four or five weeks maybe to sell everything. Yeah. Well, especially in the northern parts, if you look at New York, Chicago, where the winter is just way... Uh, longer and way harsher than in places like Atlanta. You also see that the landscape business in those places is is also uh, much bigger than in an Atlanta area, where basically in a couple of weeks everything will be green again. Uh, but in Chicago, that's gonna take uh, take a little bit longer. No, I was telling Philip that while we were up in Connecticut, it just got too cold. It was just too cold in Connecticut. We had like a negative. I think we hit like negative eighteen one day and there was a bunch of snow everywhere and then i kept traveling back here to tennessee to take care of this place and i was like why did we move again well like, <laughs> what was the philosophy behind that and then it hit you yes but i was like wait we can go back we still oh that's right we'll just go back so in tulip varieties what is sort of a is there a trend that you're seeing in like particular tulips is it the big is it the parrot tulip? Is it the big doubles? What's sort of the thing you're getting requested the most right now? You you asked also before, like, which varieties would do well in the Midwest yeah. in this area. And I would say Darwin hybrids are, and single lates are usually the ones that I recommend planting here because they um, stay in the ground a little bit longer. So they establish a stronger, stronger flower uh, and a stronger stem uh, instead of a single early one, for example. Uh, so we've seen in this 
in this in this area the darwin hybrids we've seen more and more demand for those uh different colors uh we've actually uh, created or sort of uh, sort of yeah we have a we have a tulip it's a green tulip it's actually here philip has green, uh, the green power green power we we um we installed 2700 solar panels on our roof on of the company uh so that's uh wow that's that's a green a lot of green power a lot of electricity yeah. when so did you do that when did you do last, the installation uh last summer wow so we are sort of self-sufficient throughout the year uh and we created this uh, uh this green tulip as well which is the if you put this in a vase or in a pot uh, it lasts for about three weeks uh so it's a it's a pretty special like item. wall in bloom yeah like while well, the bloom lasts for like three weeks exactly wow which is for a tulip very very rare uh very rare and a, a very long time so uh, so you guys hybridized it well, somebody else hybridized okay. it, and we bought the rights. We we bought bought the small stock, which we're growing now. Wow! Uh, each year, and uh, how many did you have of actual bulbs in availability this year of it? Um, I think last season we had about fifty thousand. Okay. In total, so next year it would probably be like a hundred thousand, and we continue to grow it. See, so when see Philip is one of these people. Like everybody else, when they hear me talk about planting like 6,000 dahlia tubers, they're like, wow, how do you do that? This man is speaking in millions. <laughs> He's throwing around millions like I throw around thousands. That's what's going on here. Do you think that that is, you know, get back. This is one of the first questions I asked you. I don't think people have any idea how good you guys are at growing these plants. I'll be honest with you. I, I think it is one of the most i don't want to say disrespected so that may be a strong word to use but i will be kind and say unknown of how good you guys are at growing things well thanks to start and uh, everybody's welcome to come and visit us at the at the farm uh, in april it's a yeah. good time to visit uh our king's birthday is on the 27th mm. 7th so then you can have the two of best worlds, one big party, everybody in orange, and all the bulb fields in bloom. So that's yeah. a that's a good time to come over, and then I'll show you the show you how we do well, it's how one, we do things. It's one of the things when when you people hear me talk on the podcast or on Instagram, and I, I have this little bit of a it's an agitation for me when I see people that have been growing things for three or four years act like they're the greatest grower of all time, and I'm like you know. There's people that have been doing this for a hundred years who do a really good job of it. And you've been doing it for like three years. Stop patting yourself on the back so much. You know, calm yourself a little bit. So when we talk about introductions like Green Power, are there still a lot of people in the Netherlands working on the hybridizing side of tulips and daffodils as well? Is that almost an entire separate business? Yeah than from actual field production. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, everybody's looking for new new variety constantly, and especially the ones that are, uh, you know, virus-free and are easy to grow, uh, are well-performing. Uh, that's, in the end, uh, the goal. Uh, there's a uh, doom and orange. They, they they're working uh, on a on a new uh, with the Wageningen uh, University looking mm -hmm. at new uh, new species new varieties that 
do perform well uh, and better and are resistant uh, for for diseases. So that that's I mean in hopefully in like 10 15 years uh, that it will be easier uh, to find and to produce new varieties because before you can actually sell a green tulip like this it takes eight years so that is one of the other things too so if you know if you throughout the podcast this keeps coming up the amount of time that horticulture takes is sort of ridiculous compared to a lot of other fields just because of the nature of nature literally that we're talking about many things take decades to go from hybridization to field production of any kind of numbers Let's switch gears to daffodils for a second, because I'm curious of your experience when you come over here. To me, as like an at-home gardener, I'm just doing gardening for pleasure, want to walk out and have a beautiful flower that doesn't have a lot of problems. Daffodil is going to be pretty high on my list. But what I think does happen is people think of them just as the standard white yellow daffodil or yellow daffodil and that's it do you do you think people are aware of how many daffodil choices they have now well i was at the world uh daffodil forum uh two years ago i think it was in st louis and i learned uh, i didn't even know uh that there were so many different daffodil varieties and seedlings and uh uh, Jason Delaney, he grows uh, daffodils up uh, up in Flora, Illinois. He has, I think, uh, like eight or nine hundred different different varieties. It's hard to grasp, but it, there uh, there's a ton of variety out there that people don't know. I'm sure of. Uh, and you're right; it's the most forgiving bulb there is, and uh, the best perennializing uh, bulb there is as well. So. So one-time planting, and you'll have dafts in your yard uh, forever. Yeah. It's sort of funny because I think what you just said is the word that struck me. I don't think people are aware that it's a perennial, right? They sort of put it next to a tulip and think that it's maybe going to be an annual planting for them. But getting people sort of off of that, like where do you, when you talk to you, when you're trying to get it, like let's say when you're trying to sell, right? When you go in and you talk daffodils, what are the, the things that you think are interesting people about them? Like, what's the thing that when you say this, they start getting more excited about daffodils? The naturalizing part of it, for sure. Uh, in many areas, uh, there are a problem and they, they, they see tulips as candy. So if you plant daffodils, uh, it's, a, it's a different story. They don't eat the daffodils. Uh, so the daffodils will be uh, will be coming back in your yard every 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 time. And if you look at the different varieties that there are out there now, from pink, white cups, uh, orangey, uh, double butterfly, you name it, um, it will give you a good amount of uh, diversification for sure. And fragrance too. Yeah. Right. A lot of fragrant daffodils. Don't think people associate them necessarily. Yeah, we have you know, like long-lasting mixtures where you have the same story again, like early, mid, late. So it's not only your very first color, but you have different timings within the daffodil, uh, within the daffodils as well. There's early, mid, late varieties, so you can extend your sort of bloom season. That is something that I really 
And in my travels over the years here, this is something that I think maybe is not well done in the United States compared as much to Europe, is having successional planting where you have blooms going throughout the year. I think the U.S. is very strong on just spring. Like, we have spring, it's over, now I'm going on vacation. Fourth of July is coming up, nothing else is blooming, I'm done. Do you, do you see that sometimes, like when people are making choices, that they're not maybe thinking about that, that you can stagger your varieties that you choose, so like you were saying with the pots and hyacinths and crocus to tulip, that you can have the magical flowering show go on for more than like five days in May. Yeah, and then also let it go into summer. So you can actually treat your beds. Uh, if you look at some of the gardens that, that uh, I helped also design, you, you can see without touching it, uh, you will have a continuous throughout the year bloom time. Of course, you have to get rid of old leaves and uh, cut back, but you don't have to plant anything and still have a good, uh, good amount of color throughout the year. So here's something we should do. I'm just thinking about this off the top of my head. If you're open to it, we'll do it. We should come up with like a package for people for like an all year garden. Yeah. Right. Let's do, you know, where we hand off, where we go from like crocus, daff to dahlia, you know, where we have this ability to like, here's a garden. Let's just start with this. You know, I think when people came here this year, when we had guests come out for flower cuttings, people thought like dahlia as an example, didn't bloom for that long. Which I, I, I was sort of like, okay, no, they'll, uh, they'll pretty much keep going till uh, Mother Nature hits them with a frost. They're going. So if you think about just what you guys are growing, you could do that, where we could have crocus, daff, onward. And I don't know if people get that part of it. I think it's that traditional, maybe it's the bedding plant culture of thinking that all the work gets done in spring you put out those annuals, they have this little spring show, and then it's over, has been really the, the view of gardening. And some of it is, like you also said, we go into a garden center, we see the tulip blooming in spring, and we think, oh, this is when I'm supposed to plant this thing, is really, I think, a challenge to get people's minds passed. So we're doing this. We're going to make this happen. Philip and I are going to put this together, and we'll come up with a name for it, and it'll be awesome. Let's go over to some other stuff. Hyacinths. Where do hyacinths for you guys fit in? I mean, are they less in popularity, gaining in popularity compared to like tulips and daffodils? We've seen that, um, or I've seen that the cut flower hyacinths, I don't know if you can buy them here in the florist as a cut flower. No, you don't see many of them. That's, that's one of the things too, like even with... Um, daffodils you don't see them right it's very most of what we see in florist here and i think this is a difference too between the european marketplace for cut flower versus here pretty much everything's coming out of just colombia you know so we just see like that portfolio of cut flower and that's it so you don't see a lot of hyacinth yeah i've seen i've, I've seen that in in uh, europe and in the netherlands that the cut flower hyacinth has gained uh, a pretty decent amount of market share and it is it is a growing because of you know the look of it but especially also the fragrance of it uh, it's a it's it's been growing in popularity 
but you know it's also struggling with diseases and on the land but uh but it will be uh, i think a growing product alliums my own personal thing with alliums i've always loved them love the look of them love the big purple the big white i just don't grow them I, I don't know why, Philip. I don't have a good answer for you. Even when I have these as mixed border perennials, um, is it the price of allium sometimes is higher compared to other bulbs? Do you think that is maybe what hurts a little bit of that perception? Or is it just me, Philip? Maybe it's just uh, me not growing alliums. I think it's you to start. Yes, for <laughs> sure. No question. And everybody's entitled to his own taste, I think. And that's that's only fair. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I think it might also be the timing because if you plant dafts, if you plant tulips, and you want to uh, have have the bed come back, you have to let down uh, or let let the foliage die down. And uh, I think it's a good ending of the season to have alliums as a as a as as sort of closure uh, in your yard. But many people don't want to do this and treat their bed as an annual. And they take everything out, and they don't want to. They don't have the patience to wait for uh, for an allium uh, to bloom. Although we've seen, and also the growers in Holland have seen that uh, it it's been an increasingly more popular bulb. So mm. uh, more acres of land are being grown uh, in the last five years. I would I would say it's. Uh, in the last five years, like 40% more. Really? Yeah. So, and do you think those are going more to garden usage or garden slash landscape usage? Or where do you think those alliums I think are both, going? Both. Okay. Yeah. But and also in Europe, it's it's a more increasingly more popular product. I, I, that is got to be a challenge though. The whole, the Europe market, the European market versus the US market and the difference. Like, And you guys serve both. Like, do you have, when you guys talk, internally like do you have those conversations like what's the breakdown percentage of the marketplace for you like as far as how much what percentage is european and what percentage goes here to the states most uh, of our retail operations are uh, focused on canada and uh, the united states i would say 80 percent. wow and the rest everything is because we're growers we sell also a lot of bulk product uh, bulk bulbs uh, also to companies that export to the United States, but also to companies that use it again to sell retail in Europe. Hmm. So let's tackle this last couple of subjects here. As a grower, are you concerned about sort of where the big box stores in America have become such a player and such an outlet for product? How do you navigate that? You know, that you're, you're, we talked to the beginning, you're growing literally millions of bulbs, but yet they become really almost like a price setter, if that makes sense for you. You know, people walk into there and they say, okay, this is now what a bag of tulips cost, or this is what a bag of daffodils cost. And if they don't know that quality difference in grade, how do we get them to know that besides you and I here talking about it today. Well, this is a start. I yes. was talking to uh, about this today. And we're going to create t-shirts <laughs> that ban anything below 12 points yeah. from coming to the United States. Only that should be the other thing we big do. bulbs. That's it. That's it. We should start a t-shirt with that, with a tulip on the back, bulb on the front. 
So is that really the start? Like just education, right? Yeah. Just getting people to know the difference. Yeah, because I mean, people, if, if they buy a bag of 30 bulbs and only 10 come up, they might have forgotten that they planted 30. Uh, so it's, it's, it's an educational thing for sure. Uh, we've chosen not to deal with any box stores. Uh, also, yeah, for multiple reasons, but also, you know, to to have our focus on the independent garden centers and uh, in that way also educate the people that go there, know that they will get solid advice uh, and the best product there is out there. Now, I want you to walk me through cut flowers here because you know you're the reason why I put tulips in. Like, I was not going to do tulips. Everybody knows this. What does is, what is Nacho's Glen grow? Dahlias and roses dahlias and roses and tulips and now tulips <laughs> so when we harvest cut flower tulips what i see mo- a lot of people doing is harvesting the whole bulb up is that the right move is that the call if you're doing cut flowers i would uh, if i look at where you put them exposed in the sun um, the tulip does not naturalize as well as a daffodil especially if it's exposed to the sun and it really gets warm here i would say 90s yeah maybe 100 yeah in a couple of weeks in a row exposed to the sun it the the the, the bulb will not survive um if if i look at the the way cut flower tulips but also potted tulips are marketed in um, europe it is it's sold at a very green budded stage, as green as possible, uh, so without any color. Uh, I would suggest you do the same because if people buy it then, uh, or buy the cut flower, mm-hmm. get the cut flower from you then, they will have, after they put it in the vase, color will turn on the, on the, on the tulip and they will have two weeks of color instead of what you typically see if you go to your florist here, the tulips, all other flowers, they're all sort of emerged already. Yes. So they they would have had their first week of sort of bloom time already behind them. So you'll have another week. So I would tr- try to have a few totally bloomed ready so people could see, you know, this yeah. is what this is what's going to turn out. So we're digging the bulb, we're cutting okay, right you could, right above the bulb. You could no, I would I would just cut them all the way uh, in the bottom or if you want, you can do it including the bulb as well yeah i mean it's a little bit more messy so yeah it's it's up to you your messy's okay though philip you know it's fine i i I like it actually just take the soil off and then um have it uh have it in a little bit of a layer of water yeah and you will actually see that you'll get a few extra days well that is one of the things that i also noticed here and you guys don't sell cut flowers over there so we can talk about it in in a bad way so i recently bought some cut flower tulips and I'm not sure where they were coming out of. They could have been here domestically. They could have been international at a grocery store and they were super cheap, like dog cheap. Like I think, uh, $2 us for 10. Hmm. Yes. Really cheap. And they lasted, I think, and looked good for all of about 36 hours. Hmm. And they were showing their color, everything else are, that's another thing with tulips that I sort of wonder right now. You know, because the handling on some cut flowers is so poor that when people see them at a grocery store, let's say, and you buy a tulip, that that sort of becomes like, oh, that's a tulip. Well, it's, uh, as we talked about before, uh, the cheaper you buy product, 
the less result you're going to see. The less effort you put in something, the less result you're going to see. So that's the same story. I was, we were at a trade show uh, last week, Wintergreen in Atlanta, and I always want to have tulips in the booth. So I typically go to that one store. We're not about, uh, we cannot make advertisement, right? Mm, yeah. yeah you, go ahead. It's whole and it I, has food. Gotcha. I okay. gotcha. Starts with a W. Yep. <laughs> I'm with you. And they had uh, actually not so, uh, uh, not so bad looking cut flower tulips. I paid the, for 30, I paid 25 bucks. Yeah. See, <laughs> and that's the thing, people. You know, it's like, I, uh, so we'll pick on roses for a second, right? Because I was reading some stuff about roses last night, as I'm prone to do. And, uh, I'm, I'm seeing people talk about bare root roses, right? And they're saying, oh, I found a blah, 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 bare root rose. I think it was Angel Face was the variety at some store they'd gone in. And it was like $4 for the bare root rose plant. And in my mind, as a grower mind, I go, can I imagine what poor quality that plant was? That when you put it in the ground, and then the thing that bothers me about it is like six months later, you'll find that person with that plant. And they'll be like, oh, the angel face variety is no good. Instead of going, I paid $4 for a really, a, a piece of junk bare root plant. What did I think was going to happen to it? If someone offers me a Mercedes tomorrow for $50, I'm going to guess there's probably something wrong with it. <laughs> I'm not going to go, this is a beautiful car that will last me a lifetime. So let, let's close on this. I'm going to ask you the cheesy questions. Ready? These are the cheesy questions. Okay. All right. These are the questions we normally don't ask. I'm from Holland, so I know everything about cheese. Yes. Don't right. We're going to we're going to make all the stereotypes of everything Dutch here in a second. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about painting of little blue boy. We're going to go through the whole thing. So, tulip advice. We know we're supposed to plant in fall. So right now, if we're listening, people, you have missed your opportunity to plant tulips. Okay. So what you need to do to correct this is start choosing the tulips you want now so you can be prepared for the fall when the tulips show up. Before your frost date. Before your frost date. That's the biggest key, right? So right. we should always plant before the first frost. Yep. So then when we plant, how deep? Two times the bulb size and diameter minimum. Okay. Should we fertilize? Yeah or nay? Not necessary. Not necessary. All right. So because the tool, the bulb has depending on your soil conditions, of course. But I mean, in general, uh, it's not necessary. Okay. I've seen test results in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they did not plant it, but they just threw it on the ground mm. and put uh, fertilizer over it or uh, heat moss, or, mm -hmm. and the bulbs actually came up. So I mean, it's a pretty strong flower. When you have the big bulb. When, you, when we have big <laughs> bulbs, people. But again, this is the key. When we have big bulbs. Not these ridiculous bulbs you find at these box stores for super cheap. Those are the bulbs you don't want. You only want big bulbs. When we see the flowers done, we're not cut flowering, we're just gardening, right? Do we think about ever trying to, if we wanted to try to get our tulip back for the next year, is there anything we can do? As soon as the flower has finished blooming, just take the flower head off, throw it in the, in the compost, and leave the foliage to die down for a week or three, four, depending on the weather. 
until the leaves turn yellow uh, and then you can take the foliage off and that will give you the best result. Okay. Should we think ever about like digging them and like putting them into like a tulip corner? Like where we try to like grow on the younger new bulb for the next year? Is that, I mean, that's pretty hardcore. This is a fair amount of effort. This is hardcore, but if you would want to do that, I mean, the... The, the the summer heat and the summer sun is going to kill it so if it is exposed to the sun what you could do is take it into your basement where it's ventilated put it into a box which is ventilated and uh, leave it there at a dormant stage say at uh, 60 70 degrees not warmer than that because then uh, if it would be warmer they would already start developing a flower and that's not what you want you want to keep the bulb dormant for uh, as long as you start planting again, which uh, is a couple months down the road in October, November. So green power, we already talked about. Philip's favorite tulip. What is it? One variety. It's a Darwin hybrid also. Okay. Uh, Van Eyck. It's actually planted behind my house this year. So I will show, I'll I'll send you pictures. Yeah, uh, definitely send me pictures. So what color is it? Well, that's, that's a good thing. I, I think it is uh, it is red, pink, and purple, and it it changes color throughout the season. All right, I'm flipping through the catalog, by the way, so I can actually see this, and we'll we'll uh, we'll get a photo. We'll put it on an Instagram story. We'll do a post about it too. Okay, yeah, yeah, I have seen Van Eyck before. And then the sisters and brothers are also in uh, in the catalog this year. Good long stem. Good, good long. for cut flowers. Yeah, very good. See, it, it's a. You know, that's one of the things, too, in close here as we wrap up. Until, you know, we hear tulips, and we're really bad at sort of generalizing, you know, tulips. There's literally thousands of varieties, daffodils, everything, same thing. So when I'm looking at this, it doesn't look like, you know, the boring grocery store cut flower tulip that we see a lot. You know, the straight red, the straight pink, the straight whatever it is. So really one of the things that we need to do a better job of, and I mean this literally, it's like Philip and I, we need to do a better job of just showing the variety that's out there. Yeah, definitely. You know, I even talk with, uh, we've, we've talked with David Austin, with Michael Marriott and Rebecca Reed in previous podcasts about some of this too. That even for them, I think they're being maybe stereotyped a little bit. That the David Austin rose is this heavy petaled, almost peony looking, pinkish white blush rose and that's the entire catalog of what they offer and clearly it's not there's a few others there's a few others right and and that's the thing like how do we get people to get past that and i think what we're doing is is exactly that all right daffodils just easy nothing with daffodils that we should really worry about how how deep do we want to plant same story same Same, story same uh diameter twice of the of the bulb and big bulbs 14 16 even bigger well, On they're bigger. Thing. They're bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're just by by trade. They're bigger bulbs. Okay. But there's also different sizes in there, and I'm sure you know you can find the smaller sizes in some of the stores. Yeah. As well, the and ones we don't want to go to, really. No, those we those. don't want to go to those places in general. That's really what we should just say. We don't want to go there. Buy the because again, you want to be guaranteed better success. We want the bigger bulb. Go to your local garden center. That's it. All right. So daffodil easier. Deer won't eat them. Yep. hyacinths how deep and what size are there what size are those typically that we're planting 16 17 okay 
So that again a little bit bigger. Uh, same same story, twice the diameter to make it a rule of thumb. Uh, and yeah, they uh, gorgeous smell. So put them uh, put them close to the tulip. So uh, if you have deer, the deer will actually uh, you know smell the hyacinths and they uh, might take a walk because they they're not familiar with that smell yeah the same for fritillaria that's a you know the, they call it the crying yep. tulip it has a very distinct smell and it actually uh, puts the deer off so if you plant them amongst tulips i've uh, i've heard good results okay yeah. and same with allium too yeah. that if you planted alliums in there too the deer may be a little freaked out by yeah. the whole allium family thing also yeah yeah i so what i really want everybody to say here is number one Philip is the first Natchez Glen House Stories podcast guest from overseas. And he's also the first beast person that we've done this outside with. Hooray. Now, <laughs> it's, I think, hugely important that everybody understands that if you want magic in your garden, what we're really learning here today is there's a huge difference in bulb quality from what we're talking about. So we want 12, 14, 17 respectively on the group we just talked yep. about allium is even what size typically graded 20 20 right so we're getting even bigger crazy and that's it will and that's the thing that makes the difference right so if you've grown tulips look at the size of this okay so what i'm staring at and we'll definitely take a photo of this is this is ambassador xxl so you know an onion people well it's an allium i mean come on if you're listening to the right. natchez glenn house stories podcast you should at least know that it's like the size of an onion like a big white, yellow Spanish onion that you may see in a grocery store. It's like that size. It's the size of your hand. It smells like it as well. Yeah. <laughs> so where are we going from here, Philip? Where's our next where's our next stop? I think you should come to uh the Netherlands. Yeah. I think so. We should do a podcast from the fields there in like well, there is no off season too. Is that another thing that we can both agree on? People think that there's like an off season in growing and selling plants. No, there's there's, there's no off season. No, I mean Philip should be at home with his wife and his two young kids right now, but instead he's sitting out here doing a podcast with me. <laughs> think about that. This is January, people. This is supposed to be the off season, and he's over here. And now, so where are you going to next? North Carolina. Uh, yeah, North Carolina, uh, Asheville. Okay. Uh, and then from there. Uh, Atlanta flying to Chicago next week where it's minus 15. Looking forward. Yeah, really. No, so you're going to the Biltmore yep. in Asheville. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, as you mentioned, that's one of the things that you got, I think you've done a really good job with is creating relationships with people at more like estate, botanical gardens, where there is more of a chance to probably interact with like a different customer group yep. than just, just garden center landscape kind of world. All right, we're going to leave you with this, people. Philip and I are going to do a podcast crossover. I'm going to go over there. He already came over here. So now I owe him. And the big thing is, if you want to make magic in a garden, it's all about bulb size. Into frustration wears and tears inside my brain. When the negative surrounds, it's hard to stay away Tell me where I'm supposed to go when there's clearly no escape 
Yeah, I've got faith, but it's been shaken a few times I hate to admit it, but acceptance is divine And I've never been one to never speak my mind But these are all the things I need to say Before I run out of breath Before I use what's left of me Inside my brain These are all the things These are all the things I need to say There's a growing list of apologies to make Some for the wrong I've done Some for my conscience sake Some from the heart they broke, some for the hearts I break There is forgiveness that a chosen few receive It ain't my job to judge, just call it like I see I don't mean to ramble on in my search for clarity But these are all the things I need to say before I run out of breath What's left of me is seed of thought that grows inside my brain. Yeah, these are all the things, these are all the things I need to say. So tell them that you love them, show them that you care. Regrets as heavy as a stone that your shoulders shouldn't bear. Your life is all for living. Dying has to wait Don't hold back on saying All the things you might have locked away These are all the things I need to say Before I run out of breath Before I use what's left of me Thought that grows inside my brain yeah, These are all the things These are all the things I need to These are all the things I need to say 